Hello and welcome to episode 187 of Effect. Zine Genies. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And as usual, uh, we always say this, but as usual we have a packed programme for you today. Um, but we are majoring on a, uh, a fabulous interview that I conducted with a couple of lovely people talking about, as the name suggests, zines and kickstarting and all that kind of jazz. But obviously we open the programme, of course, with uh, a thank you to our patrons. Um, we, have, uh, we have a special additional slot today which is what? What? Uh, what do you mean well, we have a special additional slot it's 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 the it's the one time only blatant self promotion uh section of the show uh, no no where we I, look <laughs> i'm looking at the recording schedule now dave there is no slot for blatant self promotion <laughs> well i think you might find that there is actually um and this right. is, okay. this, is an opp- well. this is an opportunity for me to blatantly self promote something which uh, which um, has been a long time in coming. So I shall talk about that in a moment as well. Okay, against, I'm writing it in the schedule now. Dave against... blows own trumpet. It's too late to do that. I'm just going to put Dave blows. Um, after that, then, we have the world of gaming. And I think we've got a fair amount to chat about in the world of gaming today, which would be cool. But then we'll move straight on to our interview with the, the wonderful Josh Parry and the fabulous Craig Duffy, um, who came on the show again, um, this time talking to me, because I couldn't make it the last time we had them on the show, sadly, um, but talking to me all about kickstarting and zining and what you need to do to put a kickstart project together. Uh, you know, tips and hints for a noob, obviously the noob being me in this case. Uh, and that's pretty much what we've got for the show today. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's going to be a good so, one. And obviously it's packed because it's got one item too many. But never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Let's go straight on. And uh, we'll keep this short since we've got to fit so much in. Uh, first of all, thank you to our new patrons. Uh, Robin. Robin Coots. Uh, thank you for joining us. Now. Thank you. I n- don't think we've seen you on the Discord yet, Robin. So... As we all know, our Discord is the friendliest place on the internet and you should sign up on Discord and put your name into your Patreon profile and the bots will do the rest and you'll be welcome, very welcome to our little corner of the internet. Yeah, that would be great. But no, thank you very much, Robin. Great to have you on board. And as always, thanks to everybody who supports us, either as a patron or just as a listener of the show. Uh, It is greatly appreciated. Um. Right. Moving, moving swiftly on to blatant self-promotion. Yeah, so, go on, blow yourself then. So as you know, Matthew, um, it's not that kind of show, you know. As you know, Matthew, <laughs> we might make more money if it was. Anyway, <laughs> as you know... I think we're on the wrong network for that. We I are. Think we're the only fans. <laughs> True. Uh, anyway, as you know, and I've said that about four times now, um, my brother Tony and I for many, many years, have been writing a novel. The novel is called Mm. Maniac's Universe, and it is literally 40 years or more in the making, because the original idea came about when we were kids writing comic strips together, and Tony would write one frame and I'd write the next. And out of that came this idea. Uh, It's a sci-fi spoof, uh, a homage to all of the things that we 
loved as kids and still love now. You know, your Doctor Who, Star Wars, Blake Seven, Red Dwarf, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, as well as inspired by uh, yeah, more serious and sort of visionary stuff. You know, for me, particularly Arthur C. Clarke and Asimov and that and that and that kind of uh, author. Um, so you're not uh, short of influences, then. We've got loads of influences. We've got influences all over the place. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so we so we started actually writing it in 1996, and um, through obviously the last 26 years, we finally got to the point where we put it up, and it's now up on Amazon for the uh, for the fabulous cheap price of two pound ninety nine for the Kindle version, or seven pounds ninety nine if you wanted a print version. Um, Ooh, in yeah. print, print oh, on yeah. demand. Wow. Print on demand, yeah. And so I've, I've seen a proof of it. I had a proof of it and read it, and it looks really good. Um, I would say that it's just fabulous to have my own drivel in a in something that looks like a book. Um, mm-hmm. The story is set against the backdrop of an ages-old intergalactic war between humanoids called Brillons and betentacled giant amoeboids called Trangles. And it tells the story of two estranged half-brothers who are desperate to escape the war um, and themselves and each other. Um, but all their plans backfire. And they find themselves entangled in the machinations of a mysterious Brillon they only know as the Maniac, whose plots draw them deeper and deeper into a conspiracy that draws them closer and closer to having to face the enemy that they're so desperate to avoid. And it's quite silly it's it's irreverent uh it's light-hearted it's an easy read um so yeah i mean my blatant self-promotion 40 years in the making it must be okay surely if we've worked on it for that long um i think it's a fun read people who've read it have enjoyed it it's on amazon maniacs universe by dave and tony c mark go and have a look and um yeah if you want to have a read have a read if you like it leave us a review and who knows maybe in a year's time it'll be on amazon uh, or Amazon Prime or Netflix. It is on Amazon. Oh, yeah, I know, on Amazon I know. Prime. I suddenly, I suddenly realised that mistake. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so you never know. Um, but yeah, it's really exciting for me and Tone because we've been working on this for forever. Uh, with lots Since of long, you were 11, is what yeah, you're saying. With lots of long breaks, obviously, uh, throughout all of that. But to finally have it done and have it up there and uh, purchasable is, uh, is, is, is an achievement in itself. We're not really... You know, worrying too much about sales. It would be lovely if it did well, um, but the achievement for us is just getting it finished and getting it up there. Um, we are three quarters of the way through the sequel, Maniac's Time, as that's known, and we'll use this as the inspiration to crack on with that and and get that book finished as well. So um, wow. yeah, it's super exciting. Well, congratulations and, yeah, on getting it in print. Um, it's uh, and. Uh, yeah, it's great. I actually. shall definitely hurry to the Amazon shop and um, possibly uh, peruse the web page, or, or at the very least, read the blurb. Um, <laughs> I might even it. buy a copy and buy it, of course, and then leave a leave mm, a review. Two pound fifty—that's quite a lot for a book by an eleven-year-old. <laughs> we didn't start writing it until we were in our twenties. Yeah, Where so so that's super exciting, and uh, yeah, I got. Yeah, inspired to get on with Maniac's Time, um, which is obviously continuing the story. And I have written uh, a book on my own, a sci-fi thriller called Decipio, based on a character that was uh, in a traveller game that we played back in the day. And so this is yeah, kind of... Yeah, I, I really don't know why you wrote a 
book about the supporting character. I know, character you want to call campaign. it, it's not a supporting character. He's the, he's the main character of all of it. Your character was stuck on a spaceship, so couldn't, couldn't get involved. Um, so I think, you know, I, if I can find the time, you know, I've written the first draft of that. I'm halfway through with the second draft. So, you know, this will inspire me, hopefully, to get on with that and get that out there as well. So that would be fabulous to see that in print too. But yeah, so um, that was the end of the impromptu blatant self-promotion section. Uh, yeah. Um, right, we're, forgive, we're never having another one of those. Forgive my not presumption, listeners, anyway. but thank you for listening nonetheless. And thank you for buying. Go on. It's not bad. Go and buy it. <laughs> right. End of blatant self-promotion. Shut up, Dave. <laughs> okay. Um, World of Gaming. World let's of gaming. talk about other people's work. Yes. Let's. Now, word on the street says that Cubicle Sevens are Doctors and Daleks the 5e version of their Doctor Who role-playing game is actually quite good. Yeah, I haven't read anything about it. Um, I heard you say that before. Oh, I've so read quite a lot, and I, I'm so kind why? of almost tell almost thinking why I might buy it. People are well, why is it good? good? I tell you, there's a, there's a few things why it's good. Um, some of the stuff I've heard is you don't have hit points. Uh, they're called something like plot points. So effectively... Um, they don't, you know, they're not about you dying. They're about you being able to act in the in the plot. Um, okay. And you don't have spells, of course. Instead of the spells, you have quips. So, uh, you know, Doctor Who being a very wordy show where people generally win by talking rather than fighting, um, unless the quip is, uh, uh, "Fellow over there, three oh. rounds rapid." Yeah, yeah. yeah. The quip is, "Die, you bastard." Those of us who are who are quite old. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah, I'm kind of intrigued to look at it. You know, it sounds to me like, well, actually, we've got to remember, friend of the show, Dave Chapman, indeed, has 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 actually changed Five E enough to make it fit the fiction that it's trying to recreate. Which I think, if he's pulled that off, that's quite an achievement. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because when when we first heard that Doctor Who was going to be in Five E, it's like, oh god. Well, one, how how unoriginal, but two, how on earth is that going to work? Um, you know, yeah. and and fit the fit the narrative of Doctor Who. But from what you said there, that that sounds intriguing. That sounds quite interesting. I like the idea of kind of plot points. Um, quite how it works yeah. in the game. I mean, do you lose them when you when you take when you get buffeted about or get you know? Hurt, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that damage is um, uh, is more about incapacitation and stuff. Uh, if you think about, you know, yeah. people potentially getting knocked to the ground and uh, or, or zapped in a way, it's pretty or, rare or imprisoned. That, yeah, pretty um, rare that the doctor I, or his I, companions would actually die. I think the only yes, one, yeah, the only no, one I could think of off the top of my head was Adric when he yeah, stayed on the that, ship that blew up. Let's that's face it, that, that's yeah. something we were all looking forward to. So, um... <laughs> Possibly. So, Possibly. <laughs> I don't really count him as a companion. I can't. He was. He was. That's, don't be so harsh. Don't be so companionist. He was the Wesley Crusher of his day. But He was the prototype Wesley Crusher. Well, that's true. But then there, there was space in the diverse world of gaming for Wesley Crushers, prototype or otherwise. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I am almost inclined. I, like you, I don't particularly have any interest in in, in role playing the Doctor Who verse. 
we've talked about this before, but yeah. I'm kind of intrigued. I might pick this up on PDF. I think it's available on PDF. Okay. Well, um, I think I think actually the way you've described it makes me more interested in playing it than I had been before. So I've never ever, yeah. like we said before, I've never ever really had the, the desire to go, oh, I want to play the Doctor or I want to play a companion. But the way, the way you've described this um, makes me feel like it, it's more... Uh, you know, investigative, perhaps in in its in its yeah. approach, than action, which is probably absolutely the right thing for Doctor Who, and that sounds a bit more interesting, frankly. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm really. In- tell you what, shall shall we spend some of our hard earned um uh concession cash on it? Why not? Uh, That's a good idea. Because uh, I because I can I can see I can see, I've, the image I've got in my mind is the scene from. Genesis of the Daleks, when when Tom Baker as the Doctor is is agonising, when he's got the moment to blow yes. them up, whether he, where he's yes. agonising over whether he should do it or not, and I get the feel that you could create that kind of kind of narrative out of this in in the way you've described it, which would be great. Yeah, don't cause... get too excited from my brief description of reading <laughs> no, okay. what other people have said about it. Yeah, let's, fair enough. Let's get it and have a look, and maybe maybe we can talk about it again in some future episode yeah. once we've had a read. And decided whether it is good. Talking of we could, things, we could always, five we could always e. ask Dave to come on and talk about it. We could ask Dave to come and talk about it if it's any good. Yeah, if it's shit, then, um, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's not shit. Uh, talking of things, five e. Uh, Legend of the Five Rings are coming out. Uh, they've already got a fifth edition, which we don't play, but they've got no. a D and D version. Why? Adventures in Rockagam. Why? 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 This is this is like you know, uh, I don't know, it's the plague taking over everything. Just leave some things alone, Fivey, please. <laughs> well, I've got to say, D and D has previously um, incorporated Rockagam at some point in has it? in okay. in the wicked past. There was a. There were two versions of the book called Oriental Adventures, uh, of which the second version was pretty much uh, actually just licensing um, Legend of the Five Rings into the world of rock again. So, uh, so that's happened before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I'm kind of sceptical about. Uh, well, I'm kind of really intrigued about what they're doing with the um, uh, with D and D to turn it into into Rokugan. Um I'm not so interested that I actually would even consider buying a copy, but no. But there it is. So That's I think, where it is. I think, you know, L5R, particularly, you know, edition fourth edition, is for me the you know, that is L5R. You don't yeah. need you don't need to turn it into five E. You don't need to turn it into D and D. I guess this comes back again every time I you know, every time I hear, Oh, we've got a game. Oh it's in five E. We've got a new game. It's in five E. You know, I fear that the the juggernaut of Five E just becomes so bloody powerful that any company putting a game out that just you know is looking for commercial success makes the game in Five E, and we get a lot less of other, frankly, more interesting and more exciting uh, mechanics well, and, and engines, and Five E just takes well, over I the world. Think, so I, I, that, that was I why I had my I've... groaning response because I hadn't yeah. heard this before until you mentioned it. Um, so, oh God, just yeah, well, leave some of them alone, Vivi, please. Anyway, go on. Uh, I, I was going to say, I think a rising tide raises all boats. 
unless unless those boats just sink under that rising tide. But there was. We should we should be aware of the D twenty revolution back in the edition, you know, third edition D anD D. The first time they created the open gaming license, and loads of things were called D twenty um, because they were compatible with that edition of D anD D, and uh, loads of companies went bust producing those. But that was before the time of Kickstarter and being yeah. able to know roughly how many customers you've got and only print that many books. Um, so fingers crossed, this is not going to damage the industry as much as the D twenty uh, no. explosion did. I mean, you know, I, I I take I do take your point to a to a degree of you know rising tide raises every ship, um, but if 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 the only space in the harbour is for the you know the giant ship five E, then you know, great the tide's risen, but everyone's on board the wrong ship because there is only we, one we in the harbour. Build a bigger harbour, mate. Yeah. Build the bigger harbour. Build but, it, they will come. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I guess there are people who are migrating from 5e to other games, particularly if there's a... Well, I think mostly, actually, if there's a licence that they like. So, you know, we, we often come back to Alien. Alien has got people off 5e. It's got people into role-playing who never played at all. You know, you can't necessarily say the same for, let's take, for example, Simba Room, where it did yeah. attract... It did attract a, uh, you know, a, a core fan base, uh, and rightly so, because it's a great game. But then they've obviously felt the need to go to 5e in order to expand that fan base. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I have some mis- I have some misgivings over the 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 juggernaut effect of of the good ship 5e. But I do I do take your in. point. Go on. Uh, Free League have announced a 5e version of Alien. <laughs> no, I'm I'm joking. Yes, I think I think I know uh, that you're joking. Uh, I'm not sure how that would work in Five E. No, and I'm not even going uh, to contemplate it. I'm not going there. <laughs> yeah, because when you've worked out, you're going to have to do it then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have to go uh, back and re-edit that. Go Five E, love it. It's great. It's brilliant. I love Five E. Now all, I, lose all I was the work having a look at uh, Kickstarter. I'm. I'm I'm less interested in Kickstarter than I was last year. My little um, Kickstarter, bit of where I Kickstarter, yeah, Kickstarter. Okay. You know that that website where you can yeah yeah. It's, but the way you, you already said it sounded like you're talking about a game, and it's not unheard of for you to get confused, is it, Matt? No, 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 no. no. Okay. So I'm less interested in Kickstarter than I was, and so I I'm not. I have to before we do this program, I have to kind of have a look and see what's out on Kickstarter, whether something's interesting. Um, and there was not very much interesting uh, currently uh, being backed on Kickstarter, but there is one which I quite, well, I don't know. I kind of like it. Um, I'm not sure whether I'd Kickstarter. In fact, I think I've already decided I won't. But that is the Box, Box of, of Terrors for Mork Boy, uh, for Merk Boyer. Merk Boyer. And the Box of Terrors is a box. A box. Okay, well, explain. Uh, and it, I'm just and I quite like the hutzpah of it, because obviously, you know, Merc Boyer stuff comes in little A5 zines most of the time. Our friend, uh, who we're having on the show later, has just pu- published one, or just um, kick-started one. Um, uh, and you need a box to keep them in, somebody realised. And so they've made a box for keeping your Merkborg zines in. And um, and that's it. And they're selling it on Kickstarter. 
Okay. I'm just trying to look it up and my iPad's running very slowly. Well, okay. maybe we're not going to be able to talk about it then. Um, so it, it's just a box to put your zines in. Well, I, to be fair, I think there's going to be some, you know, fascinating ram, uh, random tables on the inside of the box's cover and stuff. But yeah, essentially, it's just a box to put your your, your Merkborg stuff in. Okay. Okay. Is there? But you know how we all love box games. I think I think it could be a hit. I think you know. So is it is it is it a box? So it makes it into a boxed game, or is it like a, a sleeve, like the Simbarum Five E came in? No, no, it's a box. It's a box with a lid, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> and how... uh, there may be. Go on. Uh, there... I was going to say that you know there there may be a, a special Kickstarter, um, you know, special edition that is is a sleeve to keep it in. But I think that's hard. I think, I think no, you want a real box here to keep your stuff in because not every you know there's um there's a bunch of kind of gatefold leaflets as well with Merkborg adventures in. You want to keep them in the box. They wouldn't go in a sleeve. No, no. Okay, so it's, I'm looking at it now. So it looks as if I mean it says in addition to the box. The Box of Terrors includes um, some mini mini adventures. Looks like five, maybe six even, mini adventures. Um, five, I think. Uh, some of these are stretch goals, which I don't think they've reached yet. So of their target of nearly £3,700, they're at 12500 So they have actually hit those stretch goals. So yeah, so you will get five mini-missions, mini-adventures. Um, yeah, I mean, so obviously it's more than just a box. Because that would seem a bit... It's mostly a box. Those mini-adventures are kind of like postcards, I think, with some text. They're, they said, yeah, it's a double-sided uh, spread, double-sided mini-poster with an adventure on it. Mm-hmm. So it is, def- you know, it's a mini adventure. I don't know how many words that would be, uh, but not. You don't many. need many words for a Merkborg adventure. That's true. That's very true. So maybe, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to buy it, but um, yeah. Do they? Have I, am I yeah. seeing? Am I seeing a custom guitar plucker there? Um, a custom guitar plucker, what you might call a plectrum or a pick. Yeah, yes. I don't know. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not a guitar person, yeah. so. The, the the little thing that you twang the things with on the guitar. Yeah, but also yeah. that's a pick you can flick uh, to be a 1D2, <laughs> which is to say a coin. Okay. Heads or tails. Uh, yeah, you know, that's, I guess. I mean, like you said, you've got to admire the guy's chutzpah for doing a Kickstarter yeah. for a box and, a you know, a couple of bits of paper and, a, and a, effectively a glorified coin. But yeah, well, he's, so, he's doing anyway, well. He's he's he's, he's smashed yeah. his goal. So good luck to him. Uh, it does look quite good, actually. Though the picture of the box, but I mean, it's not something I'm going to buy. <laughs> no, and me neither, because I'm not going to import an empty box from <laughs> I'm guessing the states. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the cost of that that would be um, is, yeah. The shipping on that would be horrendous. Yes. So. Um, so yeah, it's it's nice, and our American uh, Merkborg fans might want to pick it up. Uh, but I think more interesting is uh, the thing that our friend of the show, Millie, has mm, brought yes. out, and that is the fabulous mini Year Zero game 
called Psycamp. Psycamp. Yeah. So this looks really interesting. Um, you'd, I think, been tracking Millie's progress on this a little bit on Twitter. Um, not being on Twitter, I hadn't really heard of this until it popped up, uh, you know, on my radar a few days ago. Um, but it looks, yeah, it looks really interesting. I don't, I don't get a sense of how, how big this rule set is. I guess it's not very. Um, but I think the idea behind it is, you know, it's fast and easy to learn and you can get get to the table and get playing it very, very quickly without too much prep. Um, yeah, so it, it there's some pre-generated characters, I think, but um, no, actually, I don't think they're pre-generated. I think those are NPCs. So you, you build your character very quickly, um, much in the way, you know, you build any uh, zero character, a little bit of point allocation, choose yourself a power or two. Um, and, um, and then it's, I think it runs very much like year zero. And en- mm. so obviously it runs like year zero engine because it's year zero engine runs within the spectrum of year zero engine, more like, um, tales from the loop, things from the flood, but with powers. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it looks good. It's on, it's on drive three. It's for the, uh, for the measly price of $8. So, um, I think we are. We're getting that, aren't we, Matthew? For our, I, we we have already bought it, and I will Excellent. put a link into the show notes uh, that you can also purchase it with. It looks lovely, and as far as I'm aware, following it on um, on YouTube, she kind of did it in a month. It was a mm. bit of a challenge, I think, <laughs> and it's got a logo on the front cover which I've just noted called Pocket Quest. I'm just wondering where the Pocket ah. Quest is um, a thing. Is the is the uh, thing where you do a do a, a game in a month? Yeah, yeah. But it looks yeah. you know, the the idea behind the game. It's it's a turn of the century, two thousands. Um, a, a small percentage of children have started to develop psionic powers, and the the government kind of rounds some of these up and takes them to this psy camp uh, to help, I guess, control them, but also train their abilities, and that's. That's where the game is set. That's where the game starts. And I, I guess you're playing one of the kids with, um, with some psionic abilities. So it sounds quite cool. I quite like. I like the idea of it. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe and I think they're kind game. of s- slightly X Men style to it as well. I Potentially, think. yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. I haven't looked at it yet, so I don't get a sense of what the psionics encompass. How I can how tell kind you of exactly what your psionic super powers are. Again. Okay. Is it more sort of um, Stephen King Firestarter, or is it more Marvel superhero kind of feel? All right. Well, when I when I looked at it before, uh, there are eight powers in Psycamp. Uh, Endure, which is your ability to sustain damage and physical stress. Force is your ability to cause damage and physical stress. Mm-hmm. Move to augment your natural movement. Sneak is your ability to disguise your natural movement. Comprehend is your ability to understand your surroundings or environment. Survive is your ability to adapt or control your surroundings. Manipulate is your ability to make living beings do what you want. Mm-hmm. And scrutinize is your ability to understand living beings, what they want or what they're thinking. Mm. So as a player, do you then get to sort of articulate how your particular power works within that umbrella? Um, I I haven't read enough there. Yeah. I, I've only just downloaded it, mate. So, uh... <laughs> Come on, no, what are you doing? Blimey. Anyway, it, it, sounds looks, good. it looks lovely. I like the it's sound of that. Yeah. Done. 
and um, and I recommend it. Yeah, and good it's luck. Twenty pages long. Good luck, Millie, and I hope it sells really well. And I should look forward to having a look at it. Cool, brilliant. Okay, um, next item on our world of gaming list is it's Zine Quest month. It is. It isn't Zine Quest month. It's well, Zine Quest month next month. It's it's but we're recording this on like the twenty ninth. 30th. It's Zine Quest month in two We're days. We're recording this on the 30th. Well done. <laughs> we are. Yes. Cool. Um, yeah. It's Zine Quest month. Um, we're not doing a zine. So there was a little... Um, zine Quest used to be in February. Um, there was some consternation this February when zine Qu- when February came and went and there was no Zine Quest. Um, is it Zine Quest month it or is it just like- called Zine month? Oh, I think I I thought it was called Zine Quest, but maybe it's Zine Month now. Anyway, uh, Kickstarter said announced kind of as February was fast approaching that they were moving it to August to build on the whole Gen Con excitedness about stuff, which annoyed a lot of producers. Some people went ahead and made their zines in February, but um, Mm -hmm. this is the official... Uh, Kickstarter Zine Quest month, and um, maybe it might be called Zine Quest now. But um, really, this touches on um, an interview that you did with uh, with some old friends of the show. So, shall we go straight onto that? It does, yeah. And that was it was a great opportunity for for me to pick their brains about how to go about running a Kickstarter project or a Zine project. Well, here we are in the Hammam once again, and today we have two guests, and it's not players in the Hammam, although I suspect you're both players, aren't you? But um, today you're in the Hammam as creators, and specifically creators um, who have experience in something that I'm quite interested in, in and that is uh, kickstarting. So let me uh, introduce Craig, Craig Duffy from Lunar Shadow games uh who's recently done project cassandra and signal to noise as crowdfunding hello well thanks for inviting me on again no delighted to have you welcome um and josh josh parry hi jvcp who has recently done the merc boyer supplement or game lord of chains that's right yep um cool brilliant Welcome, welcome to the show fabulous to have you both on board i think this is it's kind of a, a, a not a first for me, but it's it, it's good in that I couldn't make either of the interviews that we did with both of you before. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it always was, the way. So it was Matthew, and the last thing I wanted you to think was I was trying to avoid you. <laughs> and that certainly was not the case at all. Um, we normally do at this point in proceedings a quick uh, tell us your history in gaming, but you've both been on, so you've both done that before. So I'm just going to change it up slightly and just say. In, in a few, just in a few moments, just say what's been your most exciting recent gaming experience. Let's start with Josh. Sure. Um, I think probably recently, so I, I obviously run kind of a few um, ongoing campaigns, which are always fun to play with, um, but I don't want to, you know, no uh, shade on those players, but I'm used to playing with them. So I, I think my most my most fun recent one would be um, at Games Expo, where I ran a game of uh, Vason. Uh, it was great to be back at conventions again um, and not to catch anything nasty while I was there. So that was always, that was good fun. I ran um, 
I ran a Winter's Tale, although I kind of ported it into a Scottish setting for that game. Ah, nice, nice. Um, and also, uh, I after we'd lent you that um, uh, the, the GM the screen. screen, yeah. Um, Nils was like, he's not giving it back, is he? So I, <laughs> so I then spent the rest of the, the convention trying to find you to make sure you realised Did you? you didn't need to bring it back, but I didn't see you again. I so, did bring um, it back. <laughs> oh, you didn't get to keep it. Well, come along next no. time, and uh, we'll give you, give you one for free. Well, I got. I did manage to pick one up with the uh, Mythic Britain Kickstarter, so I'm all. Oh, nice. I'm now all kitted out for Basin. <laughs> ah, cool, cool. And Craig, what about you? Uh, so obviously, Games Expo. Getting back to that again this year in person after two two years was a great experience. Um, in terms of actually gaming or. You're involved in this, Dave, the <laughs> Tachyon Squadron game that we're running for patrons of the podcast Yeah, that I'm running. It's, ju- it's just great fun running a Star Wars game that feels like Star Wars. Yeah. Who knew flying around in a B-wing, shooting up capital ships would be fun, eh? <laughs> exactly. Um, I have ranted before about how i think most spaceship combat is bad but i think tachyon squadron gets it spot on um and it actually is, makes the combat exciting it is pretty good i think it's when i first played it because i don't this is the first time i played tachyon squadron when i first played it you see the screens and the like the the the, the maneuver the grid, chart the grid maneuver charts and you think that doesn't feel very evocative, but actually, once you've gone through a fight and you understand how it works, it's uh, it's excellent. It works really well. Yeah, I'm really enjoying playing that too. Cool. Well, thank you for that. Um, let's move on to the uh, the main reason we've asked you onto the show uh, this week, and that is crowdfunding and kickstarting role playing games. Now, you've both done a bit of that. Matthew and I might be in the ballpark of doing some of that in the not too distant future. Uh, and certainly I know almost nothing about, about how to how to do it. I can get some of the basic ideas, but obviously no experience whatsoever. So as a total noob, my question to you is how would one get started if they were thinking about kickstarting a game or uh, crowdfunding a game that they were making? Have you got any particular hints and tips um to help any do's and don'ts things that we were ought, really ought to do really ought not to do and are there any obvious or possibly any not so obvious pitfalls that a uh, a brand new novice kickstarting campaign runner should uh, should look out for so i don't know who wants to kick off first <laughs> um craig you go ahead okay um so i've run two campaigns so far um, both part of the, the regular events of Zine Quest and then Zine Month this year. Um, the first thing I'd say is obviously you need a game. If you're going in <laughs> first time, really, you probably want to have your game pretty much ready. I'm, I'm a complete noob, but I think even I worked that one out. <laughs> well, you, you would be surprised. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. There are people that still come to crowdfunding with a concept which yeah. is a valid option it just makes your life so much more difficult yeah um cool yeah i think then, um especially on that note is you know i think initially that's what kickstarter was right that was the idea yeah. for these crowdfunding platforms is i have an idea i'm going to try and make the money so that i can create it but because um 
because we now have major publishers on there, people like Free League, mm. I think the the dynamic of that has somewhat shifted. It's now kind of a, the expectation that you at least have the skeleton of your game put together before you hit Kickstarter because you need something to show people, if nothing else. If you're just saying, you know, here's a few ideas I've got and some sketches and a couple of pages of plain text, it's not going to, it's not, you're selling really, you're selling pre-orders yeah. as opposed to kind of raising funds, I think more. Um, so you really yeah. need something solid to show people from the off to say, you know, I'm good for this. This is going to be real and it's going to be good. Mm. Um, otherwise, and I don't, don't know about you guys, but I've been hit by a couple of Kickstarters that promised something and then it turned out, oh, actually, we don't even have a game written yet. And yeah. mm. what you got wasn't anything like what you'd expected. Yeah. yeah. So that, I mean, that sort of like gives me the idea that you you when going into it you have an idea of when you want to deliver so clearly going into it with a pretty well formed game your your deadlines don't need to be quite so distant as they might otherwise need to be but then you should probably double it anyway <laughs> there's <laughs> yeah. always something that comes up that's that's probably my other bit of advice give yourself time 100 mm. contingency i like it yeah yeah but give you <laughs> give, give yourself time before the campaign starts and after um if you're going in for the first time the so i've used two different sites i've used kickstarter and game on tabletop they've both got complicated back ends right that even just learning how to use the site it's not mm. something unless you're really good at it that you can throw together in a weekend yeah this is definitely true that there's a learning curve i think for i mean i only know kickstarter but um Although the the interface is good, there's definitely a, you know a few. It takes a couple of weeks for you to get your head around. You know, oh, where do I find, for example, how much I've raised for shipping or something like that. It's quite good for just browsing, but there's no real search function. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and is there any way of accessing that without having kind of officially gone to Kickstarter with a project? So can can you get access to that and look at it in advance of? starting your kickstarter so you can just sign up and right. put in a test project right. never has to go live um for my yeah, first one like practice ground yeah for for project cassandra i so that went live in the february last year i'd actually put started working on a test project i think it was the november before mm. just because i wanted to get a handle on how to do it what what do I even need? Do I, do I want to put a video? Do I need banner adverts and graphics yeah. and stuff like that? And and you said there's a learning curve there. I mean, how steep is that learning curve? Could someone as, you know, Luddite-like as me, <laughs> who tends to be not very good with these sorts of things, would that be something that I could get my head around? I, I mean, I, I've personally always found it fairly easy once you get rolling. I definitely think... Um, the way that setting up a project flows in their interface or whatever you want to call it, I've always found quite logical uh, and quite easy to follow because they they break it up into steps that kind of help you out there. Yeah. Um, so I've never found setting up a project to be too difficult. The only things that get slightly... Um, for me, it's like the once the Kickstarter's finished, it's processing all the backer information that I find to be the hardest part. But there, you know, depending on how you um, 
publish, I suppose, and how you distribute, you m may have everything to do with that or basically nothing to do with that. Because if you're using different distribution partners, you know, you just pass that, um, you just pass that file onto them and they'll know mm. what to do with it. Whereas um, if you're like me, I don't know about you, Craig, but, and, you know, posting things out for your house and just dumping them in the post box, then you have to kind of wrap your head around the sheet that it spits out. Yeah, no, I had I had that fun. <laughs> Ship, shipping is something we could probably spend days talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, but going back to in terms of the site, yeah, kicks the Kickstarter is pro site is probably of all the crowdfunding platforms, I'd say the simplest. Right, but it comes with the trade off of how much you can customize it, hmm. which presumably is not very much then. Not to the extent that some of the other sites allow you to and is that enough of a disadvantage to make a new person coming to kickstarter want to look at the others do you think or does it depend very much on your own kind of style and, and feel i don't i wouldn't have thought so for me the biggest thing that puts me off kickstarter at the minute is their blockchain activity um just because from an environmental standpoint anything to do with cryptocurrency is is bad news right mm. but the the power of kickstarter i think is its simplicity right because you're not um because the onus is not on you to do all this customization it means that actually setting up your project is quite streamlined um and the other great advantage i've found of kickstarter is that they do a lot of the marketing for you um for all of the kickstarters i've run at least 60 percent of the backers have been from internal Kickstarter advertising. So Kickstarter emails, Kickstarter notifications, all that sort of stuff. Um, so it is very powerful in terms of getting your game to people who really missed it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've got to agree with that. I moved off Kickstarter for Zine Month this year because of the blockchain fiasco. Yeah. Mm. Um, and the cancellation of Zine Quest, in, which is now happening in August for whatever reason yeah. um and the audience size moving off of kickstarter you've got to be willing to accept probably 50 percent of your audience to disappear at a minimum wow um kickstarter it's the they're the amazon of crowdfunding yeah yeah, yeah. it's so i as much as i hate to say it if you have a big project or your first time project i would say kickstarter is still the place to be yeah yeah and there's room you know even though we might have our kind of um yeah our own opinions about whether they should be pursuing blockchain technology or not if you're using that platform and still vocalizing your kind of displeasure <laughs> then at least you're doing something right you can be active you can use something that you don't a hundred percent agree with as long as you're kind of vocal about it i suppose mm. yeah okay. wouldn't let it stop you um starting no. off no okay so i've got my game i've given myself time to get it into the right place and i've decided for whatever reason to go with kickstarter um how do i go about some of the other things like so just the practicalities of how would i start choosing like a uh, like a project target to set how would i go about starting to work out the way of pricing what i'm offering um so i you know, i guess number one so i don't actually lose money on doing yeah. it but also so i could find a little bit of a margin and make a little bit of money out of it as well which i guess is 
part of the reason for doing it? I've got I've got the boring answer here, which is <laughs> spreadsheets. <Yeah. laughs> okay, yeah. I'm kicking I'm kicking Craig off for that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, this is this is something again. If you've been around Kickstarter for a while, you've seen people fail at. Yeah. Um, you need to a proper budget, um, and you need to again think about that with enough time to actually tweak it and put it into place um again going back to my first project i think i wrote three four different budgets just to see what was feasible and tweak mm. this get rid of that change the price here yeah yeah so uh, unfortunately maths is the answer as far as i'm <laughs> yeah. concerned I think in terms of kind of a process of locking down some numbers as well, what I what I tend to do is I I think about who I'm going to print with. Assuming you're doing a print book, I think about who I'm going to print with and then I think about what the book is going to look like, how long it's going to be, if, is it going to be full colour, all that sort of stuff, right? Think about the kind of paper it's going to be printed on, et cetera. Yeah. And order samples from printers so you get a rough idea. And you can look at the books that you've got already and find an approximation. And then you can look at, you know, how much is it going to be to cost? Uh, how much is it going to cost to print 500 of these or a thousand of them or two and a half thousand, something like that. And from there, you can work out roughly the price per unit to print. Yeah. If you know that and you and you feel confident that you'll get 500 backers, then you can you can draw your budget from there. Um, obviously, it's not foolproof to do it that way because you might not get the 500 backers. Right. Um, or you might get loads more and then you run into kind of other problems. But if you have a rough idea of how many people you think you'll be able to reach um, and a rough idea of how much it's going to cost to print and probably depending on the numbers, it won't vary that much. Like if you're working in the thousands of copies, it will be relatively consistent. If you're working in the hundreds, it will be relatively relatively consistent. It's only if you're going from I think I'm going to sell 10,000 and actually I've sold 500 that you would hit problems, I think. Um, so that is how I would build sort of a baseline for funding. Um, but obviously you want to add on to that. Are you paying someone to produce artwork? Are you yeah, paying someone yeah. to edit? All that kind of stuff. So you, you do really need to do a bit of, um, well, yeah, a bit of maths as you kind of, I would ask people for quotes, basically. How much yeah. do you think it would be to lay out a 200-page book, for example? Um, and from there, you can, yeah, you can add up, you can sum these various costs until you end up with a sort of funding target. And then you want to think about how much your own time is worth. Um, but it's also worth bearing in mind that it might only cost £2.50 to print one of these books. But obviously, if you were selling... Uh, you know, a 200 page RPG book for £2.50, you'd be insane. <laughs> you know, people are used to paying £40 probably for that yeah. sort of a thing. So it's also worth looking at how much, um, you know, how much do free league sell their books for? How much do kind of yeah. third party publishers sell their books for? What's the kind of going market rate kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. I think um, a lot of the time people have a tendency to under undercut that because they've or like, well, I'm a first timer, so you know, I don't necessarily have the same kind of clout. Um, and I can see why people do that, but I would I would urge you not to, um, you know, don't go fifty percent under, for example, because yeah. then it, in a way it almost devalues your work. And I think people see that. Yeah. Um, 
sometimes I think if people see a price point of £50, they think, oh, this will be good then. Whereas if they see it at 25 <laughs> they might think, well, I don't know. Mm, um, yeah. yeah, and it's I think in that regard, it's also forget, easy to forget that Free League and Wizards are oper- operating on a scale that as indie publishers we're never going to be able to hit. Yeah, yeah. So they, they can afford to make, for example, a pound off of every book because they're selling 10,000 of them. If you if you're only yeah. making a pound off every book, you're not going to make any get anywhere. No, no. Although I guess I mean the one thing that's kind of crossed my mind is, as you're saying, Josh, well, as both of you are saying that as as a first time publisher in that sense, um, you're not looking to make perhaps a lot of money on your first publication, but you're looking to get out there, maybe make a little bit of money, but you know, not like as you said, not not enough that is really going to cover the value of the amount of time you've put into that book yeah. um but then using that as your springboard for future publications as people now know you a bit better and you build up a reputation and some credibility yeah and that will only increase as, you know the more kickstarters you do kind of the bigger your audience grows every mm-hmm. time because like i mentioned earlier they're so good at kind of getting eyes on your project yeah yeah so just sticking with the budget briefly so mm. josh you said you start with how many do i expect to sell i start from the other way i start from what are my costs okay so i start i i, I think of things as fixed and dynamic uh, my mm. fixed costs are things that are going to be the same regardless of how many copies i sell so a piece of art will cost me 100 100 pounds if i sell 10 books or 10,000 books yeah so i work from that end work out what all my costs are at that end and then how many copies i'd need to sell to make a profit off those costs and then add how much does it cost to print those copies and work out my my minimum budget from that Mm -hmm. but the reason i do it that way is because i'm operating at the smallest end of the scale Mm -hmm. i my latest project sold 60 print copies i think it was so i was never thinking about oh what do I need to raise to sell 500? Yeah. Because I never thought I'd sell that many and it would have been a waste of time. Yeah. Did you, yeah. Did you, have, a, did you have a target number in mind when you're, when you're doing that? So like, obviously you're trying to get your, um, you know, what's the overall price per copy kind of thing in terms of production. Um, but then presumably you need to have an idea of what target you want. What your what your sales target is in order you need to, to have an idea of what you're going to sell it at mm. and then you can work out right to to cover all these costs i must sell 15 copies right yeah. and then for me that becomes my initial goal yeah anything it's, over that's bonus right yeah. right which is a very sensible way of doing it especially if you're uh well yeah if you're a first timer or if you're not so sure about what numbers you're going to see um whereas once you've done a few projects i find that you you can basically work out a trend of well last time i saw this many copies this is a similar project i'm probably going to be looking at around this many backers um it's also worth kind of mentioning as well that because you have pdf copies and print copies most of the Mm -hmm. time um every kind of just PDF only backer you get is really like a small miracle <laughs> because yeah. they carry a lot of, you know, the, the, uh, what's the term? I don't know, but like the profit, basically the, the margin that you will make on a, on a PDF backer is, is much greater than you'll get on a print backer. So, um, 
I always like to think that if I ever have misjudged how many physical copies I'm going to sell, I kind of have a bit of a cushion thanks to the, the PDF backers, basically. And what's yeah. out of your experience, what kind of proportion of, of your sales are PDF only versus print? For me, it, it depends on the game, interestingly. Um, okay. I, I think D&D people tend to like the physical books and are less keen to get PDF only, but then um, for indie games, I see a higher percentage of, of PDF sales. I think mm, okay. from the research I've done with other companies, it tends to be about 40-60 split, 40% PDF, 60% print. Right. So I'm, I'm just looking at my numbers for signal to noise. So I had 22 people that went with just digital and that was out of a total of 68 mm. people um okay so what about a third about a, yeah. a third yeah about a third it depends again which site you use and what your costings are and yeah. unfortunately again shipping is a big factor at the moment i've seen people yeah. talking about print sales dropping off just because of how expensive shipping is Mm. so that's 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 another question i wanted i mean you said earlier we could talk probably for a week just about the shipping and distribution side of it but again for a new what, what's the key things i'd need to sort of bear in mind and then i have another question that probably comes off the back of this as well yeah i think um for me the main thing is think about it way in a, like be thinking about this from right at the very start of the project yeah. um weigh some rpg books on your shelf and see how much they weigh and have a think about how much yours might end up weighing um then you know have a look into royal mail and see how much it would cost you to just put them in the post box to other people in the uk for example then have a look at how much for the us yeah. and then look at europe and and cry and shiver in a corner <laughs> for a bit basically <laughs> there are i think there are two main ways to do it you can you can say, right, I'm going to do this all myself and kind of make the best job of it that I can. Or you can reach out to someone who will distribute for you. Yeah, the biggest yeah. person is Games Quest or ShipQuest or whatever they call themselves yeah. now. Um, but they will only work with quite sizable orders in the thousands. Yeah. Um, there are other people like Spiral Galaxy Games who will work with smaller indie creators to help you get your stuff out into um, the EU especially. Which are and they're very useful, but every time, every time you add someone else into the process, you're you're losing a cut basically. I mean, yeah. Kickstarter takes ten percent. If you use something like Backer Kit, I forget how much. I think they might be five percent. Um, and then if you're using a distributor, they will they won't. It'd be unlikely that they would take a cut of the whole thing. I think ShipQuest might do, but I'm not entirely sure. But you will be looking at more fees basically. Is yeah is the, the current thrust of it so yeah it, it can be difficult europe especially since we left the eu has become a nightmare it used to just be you could stick stuff in a post box and it would get there now you have to um you either have to post it duties unpaid um which means that they have to pay vat and import mm. duties on their end um which is not great i suppose if you're vocal about it up front and let people know that's what you're going to do then it's their choice um, or you can use a distributor who can send it through the iOS S1, I don't know, I forget what it stands for, international, yeah, 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 it's a, it's some government bureaucratic platform thing that costs a lot of money and basically means that you shoulder the costs of it. But unless you're VAT registered, 
you can't do it yourself so you'll need some distributor to do it for you um someone like spiral galaxy games for example right right yeah yeah no I, i've only ever distributed from the floor of my office packing <laughs> uh, things up manually um but yeah shipping costs have gone through the roof in the last two mm. years yeah yeah um i looked at a game recently shipping from america to the UK and it was three times the cost of the game in shipping alone. It's yeah. just um, ridiculous. It is ridiculous, um, isn't it? And again, the size of your game is a big factor there. I'm only so far producing zines. Yeah. So they can go as letter size post. Once you get up yes. to hardback mm. and then the packaging for around it that adds even more weight, it just, the, the expenses are astronomical. Yeah. But the the main thing I wouldn't let that I kind of wouldn't let that put you off too much though I think the main thing is have a try and work out how much it's going to cost you to post add on ten percent because Kickstarter will take the ten percent then add on a, another pound or two just to make sure that you're definitely in the clear and then it's there right you you put that into Kickstarter and then it's people's choice right yeah it's annoying if it costs you know thirty pounds to send a small book to Estonia or something like that. But at the end of the day, it's there. It's the customer's choice then whether they take mm. on that that yeah. cost. Yeah, um, yeah. And people can always pick up the PDF if they don't want to pay that postage, which you know is a totally reasonable and b kind of better for the creator mm. in many ways anyway. Yeah. So I, although it is a complex and daunting process to work out shipping costs, and although it yeah kind of makes your wallet cry, <laughs> I would just say you know. It, accept it it is it's going to be yeah. what it is it's one, um, of the, one of the costs that comes with it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and as long as you're up front then <clears throat> no one's got anything to be upset about basically mm. yeah and if you another thing that's become quite common is to collect shipping later mm. um yes. so if, yeah. if you think it's going to be a year or two before you release it look into back kit and say i will collect shipping the month before we ship stuff but here's my estimates of what it's going to be mm -hmm. So as a, as, a, as a noob, explain to me exactly what Backer Kit is. Um, so they're now, a, they've just recently announced that they're a crowdfunding site. <laughs> um, but they their core functionality is to provide after Kickstarter support. Right. So if you want to collect shipping later, you can do it through them. If you want to offer add-ons later, so that all the people, you know, if someone goes, oh, I picked up the book, but I didn't think to pick up the dice, they can add it on later. Or yeah. you can add, offer your previous games as an add-on sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's the after Kickstarter site, basically. Right. And they're not the only one either. There are, you know, they fall into this category of like a pledge manager. But there are other, you know, Backer Kit is the main one, but there, you know, there are other companies that provide the same thing, including one called Pledge Manager. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And a lot of the sites, so GameFound and Game on Tabletop have that built in. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually really surprising that Kickstarter haven't added it to okay. their list of options. They do, they certainly have added more functionality, I think it's fair to say. Like you can now do add-ons through Kickstarter, which is useful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's nowhere near the same kind of to the same extent that Backer Kit offers. And also, it's yeah. it's kind of having someone on the phone or at the end of an email that you can reach out to if you if you're nervous about something or if something's going wrong. Um, 
if you're, if, for example, if you have questions about sending out surveys, what information you need to put in a backer survey, then if you use a pledge manager, the people working there will be able to tell you that kind of information. So, right. yeah. you know, there's use there in terms of experience as well as the actual software, I guess it's not software, mm -hmm. but you know what I mean? Yeah. And again, that's something that you, you know, if you wanted to use that, we would have to look into the pricing of it all and factor that into the overall cost yeah. uh, mm -hmm. before we decide on what we want to pitch the cost at. Yeah. 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 Hmm. I need people to do this for me so I can just do the fun stuff. <laughs> <by> <laughs> the games. It's definitely, I would say, the good thing about Kickstarter and kind of crowdfunding generally is that ten there tends to be a really good community of people, especially on the like yeah. indie games side. So, you know, I would not have been able to do this without relying on other people who kind of walked the path before me. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And people, nobody is um, cagey about it. You know, nobody's mm -hmm. thinking, oh, I'm going to keep my competitors off of Kickstarter. Everybody's really welcoming. And, um, you know, if you have questions, you can ask a hundred different people, I'm sure. You know, how yeah. did you do this? How did you tackle this? Could you look over this for me? Yeah. Um, there is a good community of indie creators on there. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, I, I can't agree with that more. There's so much help out there. There's a couple of dedicated zine quest zine month uh discords that i've received so much help from and just boosting of your projects mm. um i don't know about you josh but my projects i'm fairly certain wouldn't have happened without the community boosting them yeah um as part of zine quest and zine month mm. yeah and even um you know just other creators who who've worked who i've worked with in the past or who i'm I'm friends with just kind of cross promoting saying if you liked my game that I did last year you might like this game that my friend is doing this year kind of a thing mm, yeah. you know of, often that can make a, a massive difference to how much you fund yeah cool okay um it's yeah it's an interesting and like you say I think daunting is the word for somebody who's never gone through it before but um as you say, it's just a long tunnel with a light at the end. You just have to keep going and, and, and try and do it carefully and make sure you don't make any silly mistakes. Yeah. Um, I mean, talking of silly mistakes, uh, any obvious do's and don'ts that you would offer? My, my biggest one is be careful with stretch goals. Um, I think there's a real tendency to think of all these exciting things we could add to the book without thinking about how many extra pages, for example, it might add and whether yeah. that will push you into a new shipping category or, um, you know, how much all that extra art is going to cost, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so that is the one that I've seen people trip up on and I've, yeah. I've come very close to doing myself without even realizing. Um, so my biggest kind of suggestion, I suppose, would be think about digital stretch goals that you can do that won't impact printing, for example, like yeah. even small things like um, for my projects previously, I've, I've done things like, oh, at this stretch goal, everyone gets a bookmark, right? Everyone gets a kind of themed bookmark to go in their book or everybody gets a sticker or something like that. And then actually, as you get more and more back, as you start to think, well, I'm, I'm printing quite a lot of bookmarks now. I wonder how much <laughs> this is actually going to cost. Yeah. And then when you have a look, you realize, oh, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really think about that. I just thought this is a cool kind of stretch goal. And then when you look at how much it costs to print a thousand bookmarks or whatever, you sort of realize, oh, I probably should have budgeted for this rather than just yeah. adding it on. So I'd be, I'd just be careful about 
um, yeah, about offering things that might end up costing you more than you realize, which is why digital stuff is good because it, it only costs the time it takes you to produce it basically. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I think carrying on from that, don't forget about your time and how much time. There's a question, especially again, at the indie size, whether you should be including your time in the budget. Yeah. Um, whether you want to do that is a big question. I would advise maybe, and <laughs> no, that's not a helpful answer. <laughs> Don't, I've seen a few people add in the time for the work that they did before the Kickstarter. So they went, oh, I've written a 10,000 word game. I'm going to add that into the budget. Yeah. And then they never made the budget because of that addition. Mm, but yeah, you've already yeah. done the work. You've spent the time already. Yeah. Um, you've, you've, so Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I would encourage you to be realistic. Um, don't think you've got the world's best game out there because that's what the, the audience will tell you. you but, but, but we do. Totally <laughs> it's the world's best game. Yeah. I mean, you, good advice. You can have a great game and still not get anywhere. Yeah, you can have a terrible game and make a lot of money. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that makes that's good advice. I definitely think that that is especially true, I think, of your first few games on Kickstarter, right? Is um, because once you get a roll going with them, you can kind of you know, use the profits from one to fuel the next, basically, right? So you've kind of already been paid. You can start to think of it as, my last one was really successful. Now I can use the money I made to start working on the next one, mm, right? And yeah. so you don't have to budget it in. And so I think there is a temptation there to be like, well, you know, 10,000 words, so I'm going to I'm gonna add a cost per word or a cost per hour kind of thing. But you can never, the reality of it is you can never accurately guess how much time it's going to take you because there will always be something that all of a sudden takes you know 10 hours for no reason at all just oh, yeah. because you're having a bad day and something that should have taken half an hour takes you know your entire day right yeah um so it is very difficult what i would encourage you to do is just think of like you know what would be a nice bonus to me you know if 500 pounds would be like oh that's great i made 500 pounds just for my time then add that on right but if you're nervous about funding in the first place then it's definitely better to shoot lower get funded and then try and push for kind of overfunding because you pay no more it's not like it's not like you pay 10 percent to kickstarter up to your funding goal and then 20 percent after your funding goal you know it's all on a level Flat, yeah so if you've already got the game and it's finished and ready to go then i would say put a low funding goal so you actually get to publish the thing and then yeah. just hope that it will underfund or overfund rather by a lot. Um, is there a thing about it's like you said earlier about uh, kind of setting your price point, yeah, in a way at the same time that you're undervaluing yourself? Is there a is there a is there a funding target in Kickstarter? Do you think that people would look at and go, oh, that's a bit low. It must be a bit shit. I don't think so. But again that's coming from the zine side of it. Yeah. Uh, so my goals for my campaigns have been about £400 at the starting point, which is literally the bare minimum to produce the game. Yeah. Print it, yeah. ship it. Um, and not cost you any Minimum money. art. Yeah, so it, so it costs me time, but it doesn't cost yeah. me money. Hmm. 
But the reason I've been able to do that is because I've written them, I've designed them, I've done the layout, I've done the design of the pages. The only things I've paid for are printing, shipping, editing, and some art. Yeah. I've, I've kept the cost down by doing it myself because yeah. I'm, I'm privileged enough to have the time to be able to do that. Yeah. 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 I think it I think it really depends on the project, right? Because if I saw a yeah, like a zine with a few hundred pounds as the funding goal, I would think, yeah, this makes sense. If I saw someone selling new kitchens and the funding goal was four hundred pounds or whatever through Kickstarter, then I would think, well, something's not adding up here, you know, or yeah. you know, a a big board game and it had like five hundred pound funding goal, I'd think, well, how can that possibly make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Um so it, more than anything, I think, depends on the kind of project that you're running. If you're running like, well, yeah, and the next big year zero engine game with full color artwork and stuff, then I would probably expect to see a few thousand pounds in the funding goal because you have to pay for the artwork, for example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes back to um, if we think about Free League, what did they set their goal for the the one ring? Was it, it was only, what, $10,000? It was ridiculous. It wasn't much, it was it? something they actually needed to do mm. it's just kickstarter yeah. has become a case of this is where we release new games yeah 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 it's there also was, there, was, there was nothing in it for them to just set that target higher was there so no no because they were making the game regardless yeah yeah it's also um i suppose kind of worth thinking about the the funding goal um in terms of the kind of kickstarter algorithm as well because i think there is evidence out there to suggest that if you fund within 24 hours then you are likely to be appearing in front of more people right um, okay. so if you i would say probably if you can push it slightly you know towards the minimum end of your budget then that's a good thing because if it funds quicker there is some yeah. evidence to show yeah. that it will yeah you get, get shown to more people. okay yeah there's a lot of evidence that probably 80% of funding comes in the first 48 hours and the last 48 hours. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, that's been a brilliant chat through guys. I can't believe it's been over 40 minutes already. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I would love to have you both back on again in the, in the future when I'm battered and bruised from trying to do this <laughs> and, and use that as a therapy session. Um, <laughs> But um, I mean, before we wind up, is there like one last bit of advice you would give? So something that was brought up on the Discord um, in terms of equity and profit sharing and just paying people. Mm. Where if you're, if you're hiring someone to do work for you, you need to make sure you're paying them fairly. Yep. And the industry has a history of underpaying people for pretty much every job. <laughs> um yeah so I've make sure some, you've I've seen some freelancer quotes for writing games that are basically just like okay i'm paying you to write this am i okay <laughs> i mean es essentially i would say for writing you probably want to be thinking about 10 cents per word if you the industry standard is about five cents and it's been about five cents for 20 years mm. um yeah. So much. pay people what they're worth and what they ask. If they turn around and say it's £200 for a piece of art and you can't afford that, you can't afford that. Don't argue them yeah. down. Yeah. 
Mm. Um, there was a question about on the Discord about equity and profit sharing. I've never done that because I've never made a proper pro- profit. I've yet mm. to pay myself properly. Once yeah. I can do that, then I'll start thinking about that. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. What I've done in the past is build in uh, a stretch goal where people get extra, right? So um, with Lord of Chains, we hit a stretch goal where I said, you know, everybody who works on the project, I will pay them a percentage, you know, of their work more than I would otherwise. Okay. Um, so that was a nice way of saying, this has made me more money than I kind of needed it to make me. And so I see no reason why the other people involved shouldn't get a cut of that, right? So yeah. that's an, one easy way that you can do that. Kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. I think my my kind of big tip would be don't let it put you off. Um, yeah. You know, there there is a lot, and sometimes you just look at the, you know, it's the blank page problem, isn't it, right? You yeah. look at the thing, you think, well, how the hell am I going to make this work? Just focus on, like, the next step. If the next step is get your bank account details verified with Kickstarter, then do that. And if that's all you can face doing today, then that's that's fine. At least you've made a step forward. Yeah. Um, and just try and present something, you know, get a few pages mocked up nicely, get a few pieces of artwork in there so that you've got something to show people. And that excitement that you have from your existing audience will keep you going when you feel like giving up. <laughs> and if you do feel like giving up, reach out. There's plenty of creators yes. that will give you feedback, help. Um, there's a massive and really friendly community out there. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant advice. Gentlemen, thank you so much to both of you. Josh, Craig, it's been a delight having you on. I'm really sorry I missed you the last time you were both on, <laughs> um, but really glad I made it this time. So um, thank you and good luck with all your projects in the future. Thank we'll you very much. much. And we'll see you soon. Cheers. Okay, well, that was great. I, I had a lovely time chatting with the guys. It makes me even, even you know, regret even more that I couldn't make it when we had them on before, which is a real shame. But they're brilliant. Well, they're, great, you know... they're great interviewees. Um, it was it was a pleasure, real pleasure. Uh, there was one thing though that um, after the interview, Craig said, uh, "Oh, I, I forgot to cover this," and a, and a piece of advice that he wanted to, to put out there, which was, um, if you are planning a Kickstarter project, get the word out early and as widely as possible. So use convention games, use apps, use podcasts, all your social medias, all the rest of it. Um, they're all really helpful for building up some interest and head of steam behind your project before you kickstart it and so he was emphasizing how important that is so if you are thinking of doing a zine or a or kickstart or something similar think early plan early and start talking about it long before you uh you kick off your project so yeah great advice thank you craig that was really appreciated cool right next week next, well, not next week next time so we next were time we were talking um, about the fact that next next month is RPG a day. We're not planning on doing an RPG a day podcast as we had done in the past, but we were talking about sitting down and getting someone who might have a good speaking voice to be our Magnus Magnuson or Clive Myrie or whoever it is does Mastermind now and fire the questions at us and we could just do a quick response um, and see what comes of the conversation. To, you know, to reflect RPG Day, because I, I like RPG Day. I think it's good. And a lot of effort obviously goes into getting it going. Um, so I think that sounds like a good idea for next time. What do you think, Matt? Okay, let's do that then. Cool. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll look to one of our patrons um, to, yes. uh, 
to ask us those questions. Yeah. Of course, it is August, so it may be a bit disrupted by people being on holiday and stuff. But we'll uh, cross that bridge when we come to it. I'm sure we can find somebody who'd be willing to help. Yeah. From our from, from from the nicest place on the internet, we would probably be inundated with offers. I suspect. I'm sure we would as soon as they hear, particularly as soon as our our gold level patrons, uh, privileged <laughs> patrons, hear this preview. I'm sure we won't knocking even have to knock the door down. Knocking the door down. I'm, yeah. I'm convinced. Cool. So, right then. Uh, I think it's time to say goodbye. It is. So goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And maybe icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.